You're listening to the Mount Pleasant Podcast. To learn more about our church, visit us online at www.mpbc.church. We hope today's message encourages and inspires you. Go ahead and be turning in your Bible to Colossians chapter 1. And as you are turning, as I'm listening to all those pages turns or people pushing their buttons on their pads and tablets and all that, I will go ahead and start on a review. Mount Pleasant Anywhere folks, glad you guys are here. Uh, Last week as Kevin was teaching, he started talking about this group of believers that were in Colossae. And as he pointed out, Colossae is a city, not a region like Galatia. It's actually a city found in what you would call the Phrygian region. And that's significant because in that region, they're very far over there toward like the east It had a lot of influences, particularly Eastern religious influences that were pouring through that area. And the problem that was going on in Colossae, what scholars call the Colossian error, is that they were adding worldly philosophy to their relationship with God. They thought, they felt the need to augment their relationship with Him with worldly or the philosophies of men And what they needed to know, and Paul wrote a letter telling them this, is the fact that when they added that to it, it didn't actually add to their relationship. Instead, it actually took away from it. It corrupted their relationship. So Paul wrote a letter telling them, Jesus alone is enough. Jesus alone is enough. And so, as we read these next few verses, I want you to pay attention to the back and forth between what God has done for us and what we do in response to all that He's done for us. To borrow from Kenneth Boa's words in his book, Conform to His Image, see the interrelationship of the human and divine in the outworking of the Christian life. In verse 9 of Colossians 1 it reads, And so from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of His will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to Him, bearing fruit in every good work, and increasing the knowledge of God. May you be strengthened with all power according to His glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of His beloved Son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Now, I read that with as much emphasis as I could, but I want to point out, I just want to point out some of this back and forth. In verse 9, it says that when we are filled with the knowledge of His will, verse 10, we will live life worthily of the Lord, desiring to please Him and increasing in the knowledge of Him. Verse 11, He strengthens us according to His might so that we attain to all endurance, and patience and joy. Verse 12, we give thanks to Him because He qualified us to have an inheritance with the saints. Verse 13, He rescued us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of His Son. And verse 14, in Him we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Back and forth it goes. Like a ping pong match almost. It just goes back and forth or even like steps us taking a step in response to all He's done, Him doing for us, us responding to Him, 
Him doing in and through us and alongside us. It is a walk. The thing is, is we are, as Christians, we are meant to be disciples of Christ. And that word infers discipline. We are supposed to have discipline in our walks. We are supposed to respond to His word by acting. Okay, we're supposed to do things according to what His Word says. The thing is, is we can get kind of caught up in that. We can get so focused on what we do because it's in our hands and it's in our control that we can actually lose sight of what He is doing for us. I'll never forget um, a time in my Christian walk whenever I was experiencing just a dry spell with the Lord. Maybe some of you are there this morning. But I was very active in my church. I was voraciously digging into the Word and nothing. I mean, I felt like I was getting nowhere. And so I went to my mentor, Dr. Charles Whipple, and I told him about what was going on, and he gave me some advice that I was not expecting. Are you ready? He looked at me and said, read less, think more. I'm like, okay. Now understand, at the time, I had a personal regimen of reading nine chapters in my Bible every day. I was reading five Psalms, one proverb, and three chapters from the New Testament. And I was just pouring it through myself. Because if you read five Psalms and a proverb each day, then you can read through all of Psalms and Proverbs every month. And when you read three chapters from your New Testament each day, you can read through your New Testament four times in a year. And so I was pouring the word through myself. I was literally chugging the word. But here's the thing. I wasn't giving the Holy Spirit a chance to teach me. See, whenever Doc told me, read less, think more, it was to make time, really, to consider what I was reading. You think, well, that makes sense, sure. But here's the deal. I was giving all of my time to reading and I wasn't taking time to think on it, to meditate on the Word. And when you hear meditate, we're not talking about, you know, Eastern stuff, you know, where you're twisting your legs all up and you're burning incense in your belly button, you're going, oh, okay? That's, that's a bunch of hooey, okay? That's, that's not biblical, okay? In fact, I would say that not only is there no benefit to it, but it is actually a vacuum for the demonic because it is all about emptying your mind, okay? Makes a lot of space. For other things to come in. But here's the thing. Biblical meditation is about filling your thoughts with the Word. It's when you're studying your Bible and you come to a place that you don't understand. It's not just like, well, I don't get that. I'm just going to go into the next section. No, it's parking there and it's saying, okay, I'm not going to go any further than this for right now. And I'm going to ask you, Lord, Holy Spirit, you are my master teacher. That's the reason that you moved into my life after I believed. Would you teach me this? And then I dwell on, I ponder, I, I meditate on each word in the difficult passage, asking Him to give me insight and help me apply it to my life. And so when I did that, my walk with the Lord in that season of my life went to another level. He began to speak to me again. I wasn't, it was like, before I told you, it was just dry. Nothing was happening, it felt like. And then suddenly, I could hear him again. Why? Because I finally gave him a chance to, be, to actually teach me. I actually sat there in silence, asking him to teach me, and thinking on his word. And he did. He met my need. You see, I began to recognize his side-by-side -side work in my life. 
I was not responsible for carrying the entire relationship that I had with him. I was reaching out to him, sure. I mean, I was reading, I was devouring the word, but I wasn't recognizing and appreciating how he was reaching out to me. And that's what made the difference. Paul is telling the Colossians and us that if we'll only grasp how the Lord is working in and alongside them, that we will successfully walk in a way that is worthy of the Lord. And so it's that partnership, that union that I want to explore with you this morning. Because you see, Jesus is more than an intellectual pursuit. He's more than a weekend VIP. He's with you. He is for you. He's a friend. And he's someone that you want to know. Not just, oh, I know of him, or I know him like I'm going to heaven. Know him like your friends and family. So with that in mind, let's grow. In Colossians 1.9, he says, And so from the day we heard, heard what? That there was a group of believers in Colossae. We have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of His will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding. So he was praying that they would be filled with the knowledge of His will. Literally meaning not filled partially or not filled two-thirds of the way, but filled to the full. It kind of has, it's like the picture of a glass that is filled so much that it's kind of like got that bubble at the top, like it's about to go over, you know, the surface tension and everything. How do you know when something is so full it can't hold anything more? How do you know? It overflows. It overflows. And so just like you see there, there's no mixture in that. It's clear. It's beautiful. There is only, in that glass, water. God, He wants to be the controlling influence in your life. And so whenever we allow Him to pour His will into us more and more and more until we are filled to the full, that means that when He continues to do that, His will is going to pour out of us and into the world that we inhabit. He wants to be the controlling influence in our lives. We understand His will through His Word. God's Word changes lives. That's the whole story of verses 9 and 10. If you go and you read verses 9 and 10 of Colossians 1, you will see the summary of that passage is God's Word changes lives. I was reading a recent Barna study, and it talked about how six in ten Americans, not just necessarily, you know, do you consider yourself a believer or whatnot, six in ten Americans believe that the Bible has transformed their lives. Half of Bible users, they'll go on to say, agree that engagement with the Bible makes them want to engage with their faith more. It means that when they get in the Word, what it does is it causes them to want to respond to God. That's an effect that His Word has on us. But here's the thing. Forget about, forget about anonymous surveys for a minute. Is that not why you're here this morning? My understanding that you are filling the seats in this room is because you want to experience the presence of God and have your lives challenged by His Word. Otherwise, why be here? Okay? So just your presence there indicates to me, I don't know if it does to you, but I hope that you'll kind of grab it, you'll come and be like, huh, yeah, I guess that's true. That you also believe that God's Word changes lives, and so you're here exposing yourself to it. 
We can't know God apart from his word. And without his word, my relationship with him either withers or it morphs into something that I just make up because it's not anchored to his word. His word tells me who he is. I'm not just trying to encounter God on my own, just some search in the universe apart from something specific about him. No, I'm literally going to what he gave me about himself and getting to know him as a person. He wants to permeate your life so that there's no other influence in your life but him. And Colossians 1.9 says that, if, that his will for them was to be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding. Now when you hear wisdom, and I've said this before, uh, but you guys are going to start remembering it really, really well. When you hear the word wisdom in scripture, you can substitute in there life experience. That's what that word means. It is literally knowledge gathered through acuteness and experience. That's what that word means. So when you read that, you can literally substitute in that he wants us to be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual life experience and understanding. And that word understanding has to do with considering God before we act. It talks about a flow, like we're literally going through life looking for every opportunity to obey him. It's like when you're walking through the snow. If someone has gone before you going through the snow, are you likely to just step in the steps that they make or are you going to blaze your own trail? What's easier? Yeah, stepping in those other steps. And so here's the thing. As you're walking along, you're looking for the next step. And there's the next one, okay? And my right foot goes over here. We're not doing this and looking everywhere else. We're right here looking for the next step, looking for the next step. And so it is in our Christian lives. As we're walking with him, we are literally looking for the next opportunity to obey him, obeying him in every area of our lives. You say, every area? That's a lot. That's, that's requires a lot of effort. Not so much. Again, we start to think about that, and that's us again working. But it doesn't really require as much effort as it requires trust that he's actually given us what we need to do it. It's faith in Him. And here's the thing. It's not, a weariness, it's not a wearisome or worrisome obedience. It's not a, I don't know if I'm doing the right thing today. Is this my next step? Is this what I'm supposed to do? No, literally that word, again, it has to do with a flow of life, meaning that you are so regular, regularly in the word and so regularly responding to him that you just know what the next step is. You don't have to wonder. You're just stepping into it because you are intimate with the Lord and you know what pleases him. There's a flow there. That's what that's talking about. We experience God and his will through obedience and we know him and his will through his word. God's word changes lives. Verse 10 continues, he says, So as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God. Now in the Bible background commentary that I use a lot, uh, they have something in there that says, Jewish teachers describe their moral laws derived from the Old Testament as halakha, which literally means walking. Now that wouldn't have necessarily been maybe strong in the Greek understanding, but people, especially Paul's readers, who were familiarizing themselves with this new 
belief, this new way, Jesus alone, that emerged from Judaism, they would have understood how they were talking about this was just a walk, literally how you conduct your life. And so as such a walk, the scripture says, is fully pleasing to God. And when you hear that phrase, fully pleasing, it's not, well, you're pleasing just enough and like you're, mm, you're, you're completely pleasing to him. It's not having to do with the quantity as much as it is a desire. It is the desire to please God, which by the way, that's the biblical definition of godliness. Godliness equals a desire to please him. It is a Godward attitude where we are literally living life looking up. We are looking for ways to please him. That element is key. If we want to please God, then we're going to look, we're going to look to him for ways to do that. We're going to look to him for how to do things in a new way, as opposed to the way that we once did them as a natural, unbelieving person. And that, doing things differently, that is bearing fruit. That's what he's talking about there. Bearing fruit, it's noticeable change. Noticeable change. It's change that has a measurable effect. It's like the pepper plants that I planted in my garden this past summer. They were beautiful and green and about this tall, and they stayed like that all summer. I watered them, and I didn't, I wasn't eating peppers, and I watered them, and weeded, and I wasn't eating peppers, and uh, some of the leaves started to fall off. I'm thinking, am I watering it too much? And uh, nothing was happening. And then I saw them, these little white blossoms. And they were all over it. And then in no time, it was covered in these bright, beautiful orange snacking peppers. Sweet. They're wonderful. Uh, I don't have a picture of them because I ate them. I just, I just, I don't take pictures of my food like that. So that's just not me. But, um, but that way you could have seen them. But that was the noticeable change. Sometime you, in the night, you saw just plain plants. And the next morning, those little bulbs that then open up into those little white flowers and then to open up into orange peppers. Something beneficial. Something edible. Noticeable growth. How is your walk with Jesus causing noticeable change in your life? So often we can have conversation with folks, and I hope you have spiritual conversation with people. Uh, you don't just talk about the weather and the sports and things like that. I hope that spiritual conversation is not something that is utterly foreign to you because spiritual conversation is a sign of a spirit-controlled life. Check it out in Ephesians 5, okay? But when we have these conversations with people, so often we can ask this question, so... What's the Lord doing in your life? Well, he's growing me. He's pushing me. Great. How? Well, he's just, you know, he's just, he's just working on me. You know, just, you know, just growing me. You know, I'm, I don't know. What is different about your life this week than last week, or last month, or last year. What is different? Do you have more control over your temper, or your tongue? 
Do you find yourself still bitterly dwelling on the way that people have wronged you in the past? Or are you becoming more forgiving, letting go of things and loving instead of holding on to things? Are you becoming more sensitive to the things that cause you to struggle with sinful thoughts and sinful actions, sinful words? Are you finding yourself become more sensitive to those things that influence you that way and as a result, you're avoiding those things? Or do you continuously invite those influences into your life because you're just not really that thoughtful about the influence that they have upon you? Are you envious? Can you celebrate when something good happens for someone else? If you are growing like that, that's noticeable change. Because the thing is, is if God's just growing you, great. But if it's not actually making you outwardly look more like Jesus, what good is it? Measurable, substantial, noticeable, growth. That's bearing fruit. And as a result of such an outworking of God's will in your life, you will experience increasing in the knowledge of God. Now note the difference here. In verse 9, Paul prayed that the Colossians would be filled with the knowledge of his will. But then in verse 10, he says, as a result of that, you will increase in your knowledge of him, not just his will. Now the relationship starts to deepen. I love how Peter words this in the last words that he would ever pen in the scriptures. He says, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To him be glory both now and to the day of eternity. Amen. Tell me, how do you grow as someone's friend? How do you grow as someone's friend? I didn't hear it. You spend time with them. Yes, that's very, very helpful. Okay, but here's the other thing as well. That is essential. And I would also posit that there's one other thing that's essential. And that is intrinsic knowledge of that other person. What are they like? What are they not like? See, if you just know things about a person and you don't, you've never done anything with them, you're not a friend of that person, you're just a fan. Okay? I enjoy listening to Chip Ingram. I love his teaching, but I'm not a friend of Chip Ingram because I've never actually met him or done anything with him. If I had met him, I would love to spend time with him because I believe that he's a very godly person. I know things about him, but I don't know him. I'm still on fan level with him. But flip it. If I've only ever done a few things with a person, but I don't actually know anything about them, I'm not a friend of them either. I'm just an acquaintance. That's all. Are you an acquaintance of God? You come and you do church with him, and then you go out and you don't really know anything about him. Do you know him? Are you a fan of God? You know stuff about him, but you don't actually do life with him? Peter is saying, grow in the whole person of Jesus. Think about it. Growing in grace. Do you experience grace through just reading about it and studying it, or by experience? Exactly. 
You read his word, you find out in which is where you get the knowledge of God, who he is, you read his word, and then you respond to it, and as a result of that, you experience God's grace. So you're doing life with him, shared life experience with God, and then intrinsic knowledge of him. Through his word, we get to know him, what pleases him, what breaks his heart, what's important to him, how he sees me, how he sees you. When we grow in this way, God goes from distant to approachable. He goes from being a Sunday morning acquaintance to an ever-present friend. Let's keep reading. Colossians 1.11 says, May you be strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy. We have access to all power because we know and we rely on the one who has all the power. All power in this world, in this universe, power as in authority to rule and reign, or power that keeps fueling the sun is God's. And we have access to all of it because he gives it to us. Read in 2 Peter 1.3, he says, his divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence. Again there, you see an emphasis on the word. That's how we access everything that he's given us for life and godliness. But remember, godliness is that desire to please God. So literally, he's saying God's power has given us everything we need to live a life that pleases him. And we access all those things we need through his word. And we lean on that. Remember, this series is about what's true and what's false and discerning those, the difference between them in a world that's constantly saying, over here, over here, over here, this is the right way. No, 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 no. You need this to make your life whole. Without this, your life is just worthless, okay? You need to add this to it. And God says, no, 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 no. You are enough. I make you enough. I'm all you need. And the verse goes on to say that we would be strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy. Jesus supplies the strength we need to endure to the end. To endure. If you've ever felt yourself where you were tempted or you were just, you had to do something that was tough, but no one in this world was making you actually go through and do the right thing, the hard thing. It was God and you felt that weight on you to do it. You could have easily just turned aside and just buckled and done what the world wanted you to. But instead, you kept going and you took the next step and you took the next step because God was enabling you to do so. I didn't share this with the other services, but I've, but I've said this before. Whenever I was in high school, I was a runner, and I enjoyed the distance running aspect of what I did there. I had a pretty decent career. And one thing that I'm very proud of, but this is nothing of me. When I was a runner in high school, I never walked a step in any race I ran for the four years, the 12 seasons that I ran, because I was cross country, indoor track, outdoor track. And I could not bring myself to allow myself to walk a step because before I began each race, I asked God for strength. And I believed with all my heart that he had given it to me and that to walk a step was to waste what he had given. I didn't want to waste it. 
He already gave me everything I needed. And so it's nothing of me. All that is is a testament to how God strengthened me. He was faithful. I just showed up. God was faithful. He gives us endurance so that we can endure to the end. Patiently waiting on Him. Waiting, that's hard. Waiting is a lot harder than people would initially think. Waiting on God is hard. But He gives us the power to do it and to do it all with lasting joy. Verse 12 continues, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. Do you know what the most quoted words by God in the Bible are? It's these words right here. Give thanks to the Lord, for He is good, for His steadfast love endures forever. Look at those words. Those are the most quoted words by God in the Bible, period. He repeats those words more than fear not. He repeats those words more than I love. It's give thanks. Give thanks, give thanks, give thanks. And that exact set, for he is good, for his steadfast mercy or his steadfast love endures forever. You think it should have a part in our lives? An attitude of gratitude. If you read through Paul's epistles, anywhere where there's a passage of Scripture that talks about the Spirit-controlled life, a sign of a Spirit-controlled person not only is being able to comfortably and regularly have spiritual conversation, but it is also an attitude of gratitude. You will find that in the context. I assure you. Go look it up. Because this is the thing. What happens whenever we thank someone? A couple of things. We recognize the presence of something that wasn't there before and the one who brought it. So when we thank God for the things that He does for us, we are thanking Him for something that we did not have before and we could not have had on our own, and we are recognizing Him as the person who gave it. Tell me, raise your hand if you have something good in your life. Anybody have anything good in their life? There was a few people that, that didn't hardly raise their hand in the second service, and I was like, man, I'll pray for you. Okay, you don't have anything good in your life. Okay, if you have something good in your life, guess where it came from? God. James 1.17 says so. You should thank Him for it. Because when you do, it becomes more real. When we do not think, we do not notice. Present blessings go unnoticed when we do not think. Are you in the habit of seeing God working in your life and you thank Him for what He's doing? Or like, I don't know, like the server that comes to your table to refill your glass in the restaurant, do you miss Him? Oh, we, get, we, we notice when the server doesn't come, right? We're sitting there and we're shaking our glass. <laughs> with all that ice and nothing to drink in there, or we're <laughs> sucking those little tiny droplets through the straw and making as much noise with it as we can because we want somebody to know that they're not meeting my need. We notice that. But when they come to refill your beverage and you're in the conversation with somebody, do you pause and say, thank you. I really appreciate that. Or do you ignore them? Because, I mean, they're just doing what they're supposed to be doing, right? Do they really deserve being thanked? They're just doing what they're supposed to. We expect that of them, right? 
but aren't they meeting your need? I find that regardless whether a person is a believer or not, the tendency is to miss being thankful. And if we're not thankful person to person, how in the world are we going to be thankful to someone we can't even see? God gives and he gives and he gives and he gives. And the thing is, though, we've been so programmed by this world and the world's systems of what's valuable and what's worthy of thanks that we miss a lot of things. We're thankful for, we're thankful for the promotion. We're thankful for when the meeting goes smoothly. We're thankful for our food. We're thankful for our health and for our family and our family's health. And that's great. Those are good things. You should be thankful for those. But I argue that the most important, most precious things that God gives are intangible. They're invisible. Do we thank Him for how He's growing us as believers? Do we thank Him for teaching us something that we did not know before when we get alone with Him in His Word? That thing that takes our relationship from here to here with Him. How about this? Do we thank Him when we recognize that a specific sin that we struggle with regularly just doesn't seem like it's had as much of a hold on me recently? Man, that's worthy of thanks because He's making you like His Son. You're sensing and you're feeling that power and that release He's given you from that sin before and that ability that you have over it. Thank Him for that. If all you added to your life as a result of today's message, as a result of this time in your word, was just the intentional cultivation of an attitude of gratitude, if that was all you added to your life from today, it would change your life. Because again, you would recognize His working. Because the same thing that causes us not to be thankful is the same thing that causes us not to respond to Him. And that is we don't recognize what He has done. We need to recognize He truly has given us everything we need to walk this walk, like it says in 2 Peter 1. If we would recognize it and take advantage of it, our prayers would look less like, thank you for this food. Lord, please help me have a good day today. Thank you for letting me have a good day today. Our prayers would have less to do with what pleases us on a flesh level and instead they would be more like, Father, when I encounter difficult people today, would you help me see them like you do? Would you give me divine insight on how I can meet their need, how I can minister to them? Father, I'm tempted. Lord, you know how I struggle. When those thoughts and those inclinations, those desires start to rise up in me, would you remind me that you have rescued me from that darkness? Help me remember that I am strengthened, not according to my might, not according to how much sleep I've had or how much coffee I've drank, but I'm strengthened according to your glorious might. Or how about just, Lord, I'm struggling, period. I'm just struggling. And I don't even know how to tell you what I'm thinking or feeling. Would you help me remember that you're with me? That you've given me everything I need to live for you? That you're pleased with me? That you're pleased with me? And that you love me and you will love me no matter what? 
Father, help me make you smile today. How about this? I love you too. Thank you for loving me. I love you too. When's the last time you told God that? Not just I love you, but I love you too. Because you recognize and you feel and you know his love for you. Keep reading. Colossians 1.12 says, giving thanks to the Father, giving thanks to Him, giving thanks to Him, who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has done so much for us, and that includes having made us qualified. I love this passage that Paul writes in 2 Corinthians. He says, Such is the confidence that we have through Christ toward God. Not that we are sufficient in ourselves to claim anything is coming from us, but our sufficiency is from God. That's the whole reason I'm able to stand up here on Sunday mornings. I'm not, one, I'm not worthy to stand up here. Two, I feel so inadequate every time I get ready to prepare for this. I'm literally, the knots in my stomach start the day before. And it's just like, oh boy, here it comes. And I'm looking forward, I'm looking, I'm excited about being able to minister to you through God's word. But man, there's just something, there's just this weight that comes on you and and I take it seriously but something else that the Lord showed me this morning literally as I was driving to work and I tell you the Lord whatever you're speaking on I tell you the Lord will put you through the ringer about that to get you ready Ezra he was honored by the Lord and everything that he did because he set his heart to know the word and to do the word and then to teach the word in that order and so the Lord has shown me a lot about how I am relying on Him as I preach a message about relying on Him. And when I was almost coming this way, almost to the recycling center down the road, it's just, it's like it just hit me because again, those knots are there and I mean, I'm looking forward to it and I know I've prepared, I've studied, I've prayed for myself, for you, for you guys watching online. And it was just like the Lord just spoke into my heart. You know there's nothing about your flesh that wants to do what you're about to do. And I literally sat up straighter in the car and was like, oh. Like that thought, I mean I knew that, but I never attributed that aspect to that feeling that I was having. That that's why you feel like that. Your flesh doesn't want to do this. And so all I just remembered was, well flesh get with it. We join the winning side. And so it's going to be okay in the end. It might not feel good to you right now, <laughs> but we're doing this. And so one day this whole flesh that doesn't want to do anything that honors God, it's going to be redeemed too. But right now we're just going to keep kicking in the rear. But God makes me sufficient to do this, and He makes you enough to live for Him as well. The world will tell you, you're not enough without this. You need this in your life. You're not whole without this. But God says, you are mine. I make you enough. 
And then beyond that, he says that not only does he make us sufficient, but he makes us sufficient for an inheritance with the saints. Romans 8 tells us that we are not only sufficient as to have an inheritance among the saints, but we literally are heirs of God, co-heirs with Christ. Now, can anybody think, what does Jesus own? Everything. And we are co-heirs with him. We get what he gets. That's grace. Holy cow, that's grace, especially whenever you look at the next verse. But here's the thing. What you're seeing here so far is a picture of a God who pulled out all the stops to reach you by sending his son to die for you. And then it's a picture of a father for those of you who have believed who takes care of you perfectly. There may be some in this room who you don't have the memory of a perfect father. And, there was, and truly, there's no such thing on this earth as a perfect father. But if you know Jesus, you have one. And he wants to take care of you as a perfect father would. In Colossians 1.13, he says, talking about the father, he has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Understand what that means? What thing that God has done for us in that is literally he has made us different. We have a new position, a new standing in his eyes. We are no longer prodded along by the things that goad the world. The things that make the, girl, that make the world move along, they don't have an effect on us like they once did. We're no longer living in uncertainty and fear. We're no longer slaves to sin. Remember, we've been bought back. That's what this passage says. He rescued us from the domain of darkness, and then he transferred us to his son's kingdom. But here's the thing. He didn't just come along us one time in eternity and just said, oh, well, there's a bunch of wretches that need to be rescued. And so he pulled us out of that dark, nasty hole and says, okay, you're rescued. Now there's a place over there for you, and it's a lot nicer than where you were, and it's nice and neat, so go live over there. He didn't do that. He literally rescued us from that dark domain so that we could be close to him. He gave us a place in his son's kingdom. He wants to have a relationship with us, not just to save us from hell. Can you tell that I'm talking about a relationship this morning? It's real. It's ever-present. Jesus doesn't stay here when you leave. We don't just take him and plug him up in a closet like we think that we do with our school teachers whenever we go home on weekends. Okay? Y'all know what I'm talking about. You see a teacher that you had in school out in the Walmart and you're like, they let you out? No. Okay? Jesus goes with you. Do you notice? Are you leaning into him? He rescued you to bring you in close. And you can have that intimate life with him now. It doesn't start at the rapture. It doesn't start in heaven when you can finally see him. You can see him as he works in your life. You can do that now. It's about joining with God in his redemptive work in your life. You see, if, if knowing about all the things that God had done for us wasn't essential in living this life for him, then Paul wouldn't have driven home the point with the Colossians. But as a result of it being there, we know that it is not only important, it is vital if we don't operate in that understanding of all he's done for us, then we're trying to, again, carry that whole relationship on our own without recognizing that God's doing it right here with us if we'll let him. You keep hearing me say, God wants to this, God wants to this. Well, why doesn't he do it? 
We have to let him. We have to let him. We have to recognize it, just like I had to whenever I was studying and I needed to give him a chance to teach me instead of just trying to dig it all out myself. See the human and divine interrelationship. See it. It's a walk with God. It's pursuing him in his word. It's stepping in obedience and stepping in response to all that God has done and continues to do in you. Think about this. Ponder this in your own heart. Do you live with the daily desire to please him? Is the desire to please God what dominates your decision making? Do you live like you actually have been strengthened with all power? Or are you trying to make it on a worldly substitute? Not intentionally necessarily. It might just be that you've just allowed so many other things into your life and so you just kind of lose track of where God is. And so here, all these other things are what makes your life meaningful. But it's God who gives you all power, not the stuff that's around us. Do you live with the in-your-face reality of all He's done for you and you're recognizing it by thanking Him? He gives and He gives and He gives. Just like we sang about this morning, your goodness is running after me. Do we recognize it? Do we see it? Do we live like we're enough in Him, like we have purpose, everlasting value in Him, like we've been set free from that dark domain and that we are worthy citizens of His Son's kingdom? Do you? Do you want to start? Do this. Make deliberate time with Jesus a priority. Get with him in his word. It might be first thing in the morning. It might be while you're grabbing a bite of lunch. It might be before you go to bed. It's not about how much of his word you go through. It's how much of his word goes through you. A precious senior citizen once told a preacher, you know, Pastor, I've been through the Bible a hundred times. He said, well, bless your heart. That's wonderful. Tell me, how many times has it been through you? How many times has it actually been lived out in your life? It's about letting Him do it through you. So don't just read the Bible. Think about it. Ask His Spirit to teach you. And then follow through. Trust, trust, trust God that He has given you what you need to live the life He's calling you to live. And when you do that, you will join him on his walk through your life. Now, you might be sitting here this morning and be thinking, this is great, uh, Matthew, the stuff that you've mentioned about having a closer relationship with Jesus, that's awesome. But um, to be honest, I don't know if I have a relationship with him in the first place. I'm not sure if I've just been caught up in the motions, and I don't know if I've actually ever trusted him. If that's you, if there's a question mark in your heart about whether or not you're going to heaven when you die, I, I encourage you, come back to that decision room. Dell will be back there. I'll be back there. There'll be others. We would love to talk to you so that you can be sure in your heart that you know when you die you are going to heaven. Eternity is too long to be wrong. And... Um, and close, I want you to know this. I was at the, I was at the 
Decision America conference on Thursday. Took my girls down there to hear Franklin speak, and it was great. There was standing room only, and uh, when we got to hear him speak, he spoke. It was brief, but it was concise and it was powerful. And I know that some of you were there. I saw some faces, and I uh, don't know if you guys saw me. I was just kind of being like a stealthy ninja and stuff. And so, uh, but here's the deal: he was talking about. He was leading up to judgment and how some of the things in our country we know isn't pleasing to God. And he just broke off that for a second. He said, but before I go any further, I want you to know this. And I tell you, if I close my eyes, it was Billy standing up there. And he just was pointing out and emphasizing every word. He said, God loves you. God loves you. And I need you to understand this morning He didn't just say it one time on Calvary. He says it every single day if you're listening. He says it every day if you're listening. Let's walk with him. Let's walk with him. He's that real. He's that imminent. He's that intimate. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for your love that you didn't just rescue me from the domain of darkness and then set me loose with a set of instructions and I'm just trying to figure out how to please you. You walk with me. You've walked this earth before and you walk with me now. Help me live. Help Matthew live with the ever-present understanding that you are doing it through me and with me. Yes, you expect my response, but I'm not carrying this relationship. You are there, a person to be known. Lord, I pray that you would let that reality sink into hearts all across this room. Lord, that we would know that we do this life with you. Help us, Lord. Help our relationship with you become more real today than it was yesterday. And we'll praise you for it. I love you. And it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Thank you for joining us for today's message. Find us at www.mpbc.church and on Facebook at facebook.com slash mpbcnc. Have a great day, and we hope you'll join us again next week.